Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Wisdom Awakening. I'm your host, Bishop E.W. Jackson. I do want to say to you all, I'm coming to you live today. Um, This is, what, the 3rd of March, Thursday, March 3rd. I've been away for a few days because I was at a conference last week, last couple days of last week. And I was at a conference uh, the first two, well, yeah, really, I left for a conference on Monday. Um, and we're, we're showing you uh, the, uh, the, my message from Sunday. On Mondays, that's what you're going to be seeing on Wisdom Awakening. But I am here live today, and it has been one week. So actually, that's right. It's been just a little bit more than a week. One day past a week since I was here with you live. Uh, but we're going continue, <clears> to <throat> continue to bring you programming uh, every day, and I'm going to be here live as, as often as I can, which will be most of the time. We've just had a had a run this time. And, and by the way, I'm expecting a grandchild literally any day now. And I know that when that happens, I am going to be unavailable celebrating my new grandbaby. So you all be praying for us, be praying for my daughter and her husband uh, who are having a, a child here, like I said, in the next week or so. It could happen any day now. I mean, I could get the word any day and have to jump on an airplane and and, uh, and get there. So pray for, of course, uh, their health and well-being, because in the age of COVID, they're trying to scare everybody half out of their wits. Uh, I refuse to buy into the fear. I've, so, I've told you that. I just refuse to buy into it. Um, I've been on a lot of airplanes here just in the last week. And I'll tell you something, folks. It is no fun. It is really no fun. It is not just the requirement of mask wearing, but these these Gestapo-like announcements. You're required by federal law to wear a mask. The mask must be over your nose and mouth. The failure to do so may subject you not only to removal from the airplane, but to federal and federal penalties under criminal criminal and civil penalties under federal law. I mean, it's just and and by the way, and you. And be sure after you take a bite of food or a sip of drink to put the mask back up on your face. I mean, uh, I was in the lounge of a certain airline uh, over the weekend. And uh, in some, I, what I've noticed is some places I fly, they enforce that mask wearing like, like the secret police. And then in other places, down in Texas yesterday, I looked around, I believe 90 8% of the people weren't wearing masks in the lounge. They just had it. And they didn't have the, 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 the airline police walking around. Your mask is not on. Let that mask up. They might have had a ride in there because if they'd done that because nobody was wearing them. I mean, people have just had it with this stuff, folks. They just had it. And Biden had an opportunity during the State of the Union address to, to announce going back to normal and lifting all federal mass mandates, and he didn't do it. I mean, what a putz. It just, the man is just, Lord, deliver us from him and from all of those people around him who, in my view, folks, they are stupid. I mean, they really are. Uh, I'm reading an, another book by Thomas Sowell. I'm kind of on a Thomas Sowell reader these days, uh, several books that I got interested in. I said, well, I'm going to read these. Um, but I just finished his book, Conflict of Visions. Um, I'm reading his newest, not his, no, it's not, it's not a new book. Um, it's actually, let's put it this way. 
it is a it is a rewrite. No, I'm I'm saying that wrong. It is an updated version of his book called Knowledge and Decisions. That's the name of it. Knowledge and Decisions. And you know, one of the things that that he points out, and I'm still early in this read, but one of the things that he points out in this book is that the left, and, and by the way, one of the things I really like about Thomas Sowell when you read him, you don't get the sense that Thomas Sowell has an agenda that he's trying to manipulate you into believing that he's simply trying to give you facts and information upon which you can make your own judgment. And of course, I, I think he does a fair job of laying out the liberal leftist case and pointing out why as a practical matter, it simply doesn't work. Well, one of the things he basically says is that the left doesn't care about the accumulated knowledge and wisdom of the American people over years of history, over years of experience, decades, generations uh, that, that the American people accumulate or that any people accumulate. They come in with their highfalutin theoretical intellectual ideas and they think because they believe a certain thing that automatically everybody should simply accept it, but they don't have any real knowledge base for trying to impose that on people. And he didn't use this example, but I would use it. So for example, after thousands of years of human history, the left comes along with this idea. There's no such thing as gender. No such thing. Gender is a social construct. It's only in your mind. And therefore, any guy who says he's a girl, any girl who says she's a guy, no problem. They should get all the same treatment and they should be called, called by whatever pronoun they want, or they should be called by whatever name they want, and they should have access to all the things that people of the formerly other gender were once entitled to, because after all, there's really no difference, right? So he says, that's, I'm saying this, but based on the, the thesis of his book, Knowledge and Decisions, he says, they impose these sort of theoretical ideas on everybody and they completely ignore the wisdom of the ages and ignore the wisdom of experience. So now we got the situation where this guy, Thomas, who is a six foot, what is he? Six foot three, six foot four guy suddenly says he's a woman and he's playing in all the women's sports. But guess what he's doing? He's wiping the women out. They can't compete with him. He's too big. He's a man. The point is, the knowledge of experience has already taught us and is now teaching us again, no matter what the left says, there is a significant difference between men and women. It is physical. It is emotional. It is psychological. It is, it is internal. I mean, I was reading an article that pointed out that the respiratory apparatus of men is larger than that of women, even when the men and the women are the same size physically. Men are built differently. That estrogen washing over their body for years and years and years is not removed, is not 
invalidated, vitiated, canceled by hormone treatments for a year. It's a joke. But the point is when people, when these leftists have an agenda, because these leftists have an agenda, and because they have a bunch of theories and ideas in their heads about what they think will make a better world, they are willing to impose that on people even though the knowledge of experience, the knowledge of results, of consequences, of history, doesn't make any difference. They throw all of that out and say, here's, here's the thing to do. And that's why we're, our country's in chaos right now, why we've got a mess on our hands. We've got inflation raging. We've got the borders open. We've got uh, the threat of nuclear war by this rogue Putin. We've got supply chain shortages. We've got a president who is racist and says, I'm only going to consider a person of this quote unquote race and this gender for the Supreme Court. And folks, that is pure racism. But you see, it's not racism from their perspective because they consider it to be a matter of equity and diversity. And when you use those magical words, you make the normal rules of justice go away because now you're going for something higher in their view, which is social justice. The fact that it looks just like the racism of the past, just like the segregation of the past, just like the, the, the racial picking of winners and losers of the past, the fact that it looks just like that doesn't matter to them because, you see, they say it's not. And that's enough. You don't have to have facts. You don't have to have truth. You don't have to have knowledge. You don't have to have anything backing it up other than the fact that that's what they say. And here again, any employer who did that anywhere in the United States of America would be committing an infraction of civil rights law. They couldn't get away with it. But the president of the United States sets this horrible example and we're all supposed to applaud. Oh, isn't this wonderful? No, it's rather sad that we've got leaders with so, they, so much arrogance that they have absolutely no wisdom at all because all they can see is their ideology and their, their attitude about things and, and, and uh, what uh, Thomas Sowell calls their visions. And they have to be based on anything concrete. They have to be based on any facts. They have to be based on any knowledge. Just the, the, the way they want things. Now, buckle under. And folks, that's the attitude of totalitarianism. That is the attitude of totalitarianism. And it doesn't matter whether you've got one totalitarian leader dictating or you've got a bunch of them dictating together. It's still totalitarianism and it's still tyranny. And that's what we've got. And that's what Joe Biden represents, sadly. I think he's frankly, I think he's too dumb to realize how he's being used. But I don't think he really particularly cares because he's getting rich in the meantime and he's in power. So... That's what he's wanted all his life, money and power. That's, that's, that's what drives him. 
We know he's a liar. We know he lacks integrity. He's completely lacking in integrity. We know he's not the sharpest tool in the drawer. We know he lacks intellectual acuity. We know that. I mean, he's proved that. We know he's a plagiarizer. I mean, what's he in it for? He's certainly not in it to serve the American people. He's in it for money and power. That's what he's in it for. And that he could do these things that under any other circumstances would be illegal. Under all circumstances, they're immoral. And he can do them and, and pat himself on the back for it because it doesn't really matter what you think or I think. It doesn't matter what the law says. It doesn't matter what's good for the American people. All he knows is what's good for him and his position of power and his ideological perspective, or at least the ideological perspective of those upon whom he relies for support. But I'll tell you what, it, it, is, it, is, it is wrecking the country. It is wrecking the country. And, and we just have to pray that we will get a Congress in office that will put the brakes on this mess and then get a new president who will also reverse, undo all the damage that he's done. I mean, all these military people being dismissed, every single one of them who wants back in should be reinstated. Every single one of them being dismissed because of their refusal to take the jab. Every single one of them should be reinstated if they want back in. Every single one of them should have these general discharges converted to honorable discharges. They should have all of their rights, all of their privileges, all of their benefits restored. Every single one of them. We need a president who will correct one of the most gross injustices ever committed. They want to talk about social justice. Give me a break. Nothing but a euphemism for communism and socialism and Marxism. We need to correct this true injustice that's being done against our military people. Against all facts, all knowledge, all wisdom, all history, forcing people to inject something into their body in no way passes any kind of constitutional muster, and it certainly doesn't pass any kind of moral muster. But they're doing it anyway. And then they're going to punish anybody who won't go along. As if forcing them wasn't enough, their refusal now is going to cost them dearly. Even though they have put their lives on the line for years with exemplary service to this country, suddenly not buckling to false, fake Fauci. We ought to start calling him felonious Fauci because I think the man needs to be in jail. But false, fake, felonious Fauci refusing to obey his orders and Beijing Joe. Now you suddenly you're not worthy to serve in the military and you're not worthy of an honorable discharge. I mean, this, this stuff is it's, it's preposterous. It's unconscionable. It's despicable. So we need to pray that we'll take back the house. We meaning conservatives will take back the house, take back the Senate, and then ultimately elect a strong constitutional conservative for president of the United States in 2024 who will correct the grave and gross injustices that have been done to our military people particular, in particular, but to many Americans. I was just reading an article this morning, folks, that said that our children are now way behind uh, on their reading 
as a result of the closing of schools and the so-called virtual learning. Yet 33% of children who started school during coronavirus need intensive reading intervention. 33%. A third of our children are way behind. And by the way, that's on all, that's across all demographics. Well, if that's the case, what in the world do you think for poor kids, whether in urban or rural settings, going to poorly funded schools? What do you, what do you, where do you think they are? If that's the number across the board. And um, I mean, but this here again, this is the result of the of the utter on one level incompetence and the utter arrogance and venality and disregard of the best interests of the American people in dealing with this thing. 47% of kindergartners are reading at grade level compared to 55% pre-academic. So that's a drop of what, eight points. And that's in kindergarten, that's in the early stages. These things tend to get worse as time goes on. Only 48% of, of first graders are reading at grade level. 57% of fifth graders are reading at grade level. So that's down. 37% of first graders are considered to be at risk. 29% of fifth graders are considered to be, could be the same, uh, at risk academically. I mean, this, this is, so whether it's education, or the crime wave, the borders, inflation, energy, foreign policy, on every level, we are just crashing. Just crashing. And I look, I shudder to think what these oil prices are going to, to jump to and what the, the cost of a, of a gallon of gasoline at the pump is going to look like in the coming weeks if they don't get this thing resolved in Ukraine because we've got a president who decided to do away with American energy independence out of some sort of misguided sense that he was helping to save the world from cataclysmic climate change. And it doesn't make a bit of sense, folks. It doesn't make a bit of sense unless, unless one's goal is to destroy America as we know it and remake it in something else, into something else. If that's the goal, then okay, you could say, ah, well then, what they're doing makes sense. Yeah, because they are definitely destroying the country we know. Definitely dismantling that. And I think that's exactly what's going on either consciously or because they've been so indoctrinated <clears throat> with all this left-wing thinking. So either consciously or unconsciously, that's what they're really doing. They're fundamentally transforming the United States of America. That's what they're up to. Off with the mass, down with the vaccines, enough. Close the borders get our children back in school, get the mask off our children, enough. Stop spending money, put the brakes on right now. Stop it, stop it, stop it. 
you're driving inflation enough. Let's start issuing licenses to drill on federal lands. Let's open up ANWR. Let's become energy independent. Let's become the energy exporter of the world, gas, oil, and coal. Let's do it now. So we don't depend upon any other nation for our energy. We are self-sufficient. Let's do it now. Let's stop importing all of our essential goods and services from China. Let's create an independent manufacturing base so we don't depend upon China for our medicine. We don't depend upon China for our uh, COVID testing kits. We don't depend upon China for anything. I'm tired of getting stuff that says made in China on it. I mean, it's ridiculous. But this is what these elites have done to us. You know, these people are always complaining about the founding fathers and they were racist and they were slaveholders and all this. The founding fathers established the greatest nation in the history of mankind and laid a foundation that made it possible for the United States of America to exist. What have these bozos on the left built? What have they established? They barely know how to feed themselves. Or how to coming out of the rain. I mean, that, that's how utterly out of touch they are with reality. And our founding fathers built the greatest nation on earth. And they've got the nerve to tear them down. Having done nothing that comes even close to the significance of what our founding fathers did. Not even close. Not even in the same universe. But, oh, the founding fathers were slaveholders and, and we got to take down their statues. And they, but, but, but what have you built? What have they built? What have they created but trouble? They're not to tear up a city. They're not to loot stores. They're not to rob and shoot and kill people. They're not to turn criminals back out on the street. They're not to bring MS-13 and, and fentanyl and gangbangers and human traffickers across our border. They certainly know how to do that. They know how to make us dependent upon Russia and, and Iran and, and Saudi Arabia, Arabia for our energy. They certainly know how to do that. They know how to make us weak. If some of these idiots had been in, in, at, there at the founding of our country, we wouldn't have lasted uh, 24 hours, let alone 245 years. I'm serious, folks. I, I mean, it, 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 this stuff is, is just ridiculous. You know, I, let, me, let me get on to the word because I keep going. I mean, is it stupidity or is it just evil? You know what, in my view, it's both. It's both. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And they rejected accountability to God. They rejected accountability to truth. And they rejected accountability to the American people. They really believe that we are their slaves. That's right. And I use that word intentionally. That's you know, all these leftists running around saying, oh, yeah, slavery, slavery, slavery ended 150 years ago, and now we're having a new slavery imposed upon us by the left 
a kind of cultural Marxist slavery that if they get the control of government that they really want, they'll use the government to make us all their slaves. And they're complaining about the founding fathers who laid the groundwork for the end of slavery in America, the denunciation of slavery throughout the world. I'll tell you what, you give me a choice between George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Patrick Henry, James Madison, James Monroe, George Mason, and people like Patrice Cullors and Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton and Louis Farrakhan and, and uh, uh, you name it. This woman who heads up, um, what's her name, Weinstein, I think, who heads up the teachers' unions. You give me a choice between them or better O'Rourke, who's running for governor down in Texas, between the founding fathers and these bozos. I'll take the founding fathers every day and twice on Sunday. Because these were people of vision and intelligence and had enough humility to create a government that didn't give them absolute power, but rather diffused power such that no one person or group would ever have absolute authority over the American people, that the American people would be the ultimate sovereigns to whom all these institutions would be accountable. Now, I'll tell you what, I think that that's pretty great. I think that that's something to, 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 to hail, something to, to honor. That's something to, to be grateful for. Man. What has Joe Biden created? What has Barack Obama created? What has Hillary Clinton created? But division and, 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 and undermining of the rule of law and enriching themselves in politics. They haven't built anything. They haven't manufactured anything. They haven't created anything. They haven't invented anything. Haven't, haven't sold anything. Haven't offered anything in the marketplace that anybody thinks is worthwhile other than their name and their books after they make a name in politics and get fabulously wealthy talking about how, well, too much wealth is a bad thing. I don't see them giving any of it up. All right, folks. Let's get back to the word of God, shall we? All this stuff, by the way, I just left a meeting of ministers down in Dallas, Texas um, with James Robinson. I'm sure he won't mind me saying that. Uh, it, was, it was a tremendous meeting. Had an opportunity of some great leaders to come together. I, I, I believe me, I don't consider myself a great leader. I was humbled to be, to be among them. Um, but to to talk about the state of the country and what, what the church and ministry needs to be doing in these dire times. Um, and I said this, and I will say it again and again and again and again. I think the biggest single challenge to the church right now is we must be the heralds, the, the repositories, the promoters of truth, in a world of lies. Because if the church doesn't do it, it will not be done. And this idea of not taking a stand 
as if we live in a vacuum and we could just go off and do our little visit to sick and pray for the, you know, and all that. I mean, and do nothing wrong with any of that. I'm not trying to ridicule that or belittle that at all. But I mean, my goodness gracious, you know, you go into a home to pray for the sick while the house is burning down and you say, well, now, wait a minute. I'm not a firefighter. I'm a minister. Yes, sir. But the house is burning down. Well, that's somebody else's problem. You know, and I wouldn't have, I, I don't, I don't want to offend people who like fire. So let's just sit here and pray. Lord have mercy on us. I mean, but that's where we are, folks. And that's the attitude that a lot of people, a lot of ministers, not the ministers I was with down in Dallas, but that's the attitude of a lot of ministers around the country. It's got to stop. It's got to stop. Or the country, if, if, if ministers and the church do not stand up, the country's lost. It's just that plain and simple. I believe that God is looking to his people and asking if the foundations be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? That's the question. And we better be prepared to answer, Lord, we're going to stand up and step up and speak up. We who make mention of the Lord will not keep silent. We will give him no rest until he makes the United States of America a praise in the earth. I'm paraphrasing Isaiah 62. All right, let's, let's, let's get to the word and the time I've got left here. Uh, let's see. Actually, we finished up chapter one and got started uh, on chapter two. And uh, actually, we all, in fact... In fact, we got through... We pretty much got through chapter three. Yes. We pretty much got through chapter three. Uh, the 18th verse says, therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and time again, but Satan hindered us. And I talked a little bit about that. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? It is not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is coming. That that's, that's, what, that's why we do what we do. I mean, we ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's true, ought to be true for all Christians. Our greatest joy is in seeing people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and have their lives transformed by it. Now see, Jesus didn't say go into all the world and make confessors and make converts. He said go into all the world and make disciples. And a disciple is somebody who is taught by the discipler and then goes out and has an impact on the world. That's what Jesus did for his were his ultimately 11 disciples. They went out into the world and impacted the entire world. You and I are heirs of their legacy. Jesus taught them. They got filled with the Holy Spirit and went out and proclaimed the gospel. And that thing has been revolutionized down through the last two millennials, two millenniums or millennia, I should say. And here I am, a direct heir of that apostolic mantle. And you also are a direct heir of that apostolic mantle. You are, are saved because somebody proclaimed the gospel to somebody who proclaimed it to somebody who proclaimed it to somebody or proclaimed it to somebody's. 
And sooner or later, those somebodies <clears throat> who got saved ended up sowing into your life. <clears throat> but it all traces back to Jesus Christ and those original apostles. So our joy and our crown is seeing people in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says, for you are our glory and our joy. And I, I want to say this to you folks. The greatest joy I have had in ministry has not been the accomplishment of some material thing. For example, it's not being on live stream. It's not having a television program. It's not being on the radio. It's not speaking to crowds. My greatest joy is you. My greatest joy is in seeing people saved. I have people come up to me sometime and tell me, you know, you don't know the impact you had on my life. My life was changed. You, you began to move me in the direction of receiving Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I've had that happen throughout the years. People I don't even know coming up to me saying, you just don't know. There's no greater joy than that. Not because it's me, but because I, that's a life that's been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul says, for you are our glory and our joy. And we can say the same thing. All right, finally get to the third chapter. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. Now, I just want to pause here and say this. The greatest challenge of ministry is to keep that process of apostolic succession going. Uh, Bishop Jack, wait a minute, that's the greatest challenge of ministry? Yes, because without that, ministry stops. Paul says, I sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. Every minister should be raising up people around himself to go carry the word, to carry the message to others. Every minister should be doing that. You know, I've often prayed about this idea of spiritual fatherhood. Being a spiritual father, so many people who are estranged from, never met their biological fathers, um, or they've, they've, they've met them, they know who they are, they've been abandoned by them, um, they're in jail, they're, they're, they're dead. Uh, oh, you know, I mean, I'm talking about, you know, just the foolishness that goes on in our culture today. Uh, people need fathers. And I really believe that in Malachi chapter four, where it says, I will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, hearts of children to their fathers. I really believe that, that refers not only to biological fathers of biological children, but to spiritual fathers of spiritual children. A spiritual fatherhood becomes a substitute and a surrogate for biological fatherhood, which really should encompass spiritual fatherhood as well. But sin has gotten into the picture and messed things up. Every single one of us, as ministers of the gospel, 
needs to be preparing Timothy's to send them out to establish and encourage others in the faith. I dare say that the church has not done that terribly effectively. And, and I look, and I'm among them. I don't think I've done it as effectively as I, 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 I wish I had and, 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 and hope to continue to do. Um, I am blessed to be able to pour into the lives of people, but it is an ongoing challenge to raise up Timothy's so who can go out and establish and encourage others concerning their faith. You know, I think this is where the devil so insidiously slips in and attacks and divides and sets people at naught against each other. And really, I, I'm convinced of this, folks. I can't say most because that might be overstating the case. I can certainly say many. I think many Christians, and perhaps most, live our lives doing what we want to do and asking God to rubber stamp that, as opposed to doing what God wants us to do and knowing that it's already approved by God because it's what he's assigned us. The, the latter leads to fruitfulness. The former leads to fecklessness and failure. It may not look like failure in the world's eyes, but it's failure in God's eyes. You look at what God said to the seven letters of the churches in the book of Revelation, and he criticized every single one of them. The first one he criticized that you left your first love. Because it becomes about numbers, it becomes about buildings, it becomes about money, it becomes about notoriety, it becomes about celebrity status. As opposed to being about propagating the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the jealousy and the division and the, the envy and the competition. As opposed to, wait a minute, we're all on one mission, that is to further the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of God's kingdom on earth. Behold, the kingdom of God has come upon you. And, and frankly, it's sad, folks. It, it really is. It, it's, it's very, very sad. I mean, and, and by the way, I'm not knocking large churches because I think a, a church is not ineffective because it is large. I think large churches can be powerful, dynamic forces for the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God and thank God for them. But I think many churches are just about self-aggrandizement of the preacher and just about having, having a lot of dough. And just basically being cultural um, thermometers instead of thermostats. It's basically we, we, we fit in no matter where you are, you come, we, we all, we fit in with whatever's going on. And we're not supposed to be fitting in. We're supposed to be setting the temperature. We're supposed to be setting the standard. He goes on to say in the third verse, 
that no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. In other words, don't be shaken by the trouble that comes upon us as ministers of the gospel, because we're appointed to this. In other words, let me be as direct about this as I can be. The flow of the world is moving in one direction. The flow of, of American culture is moving in one direction. It is a secular, atheist, godless, a hedonistic, um, selfish, depraved direction. That's the direction the culture is moving in. We as Christians are moving in the opposite direction. We are moving toward greater levels of holiness and, and righteousness and love and, and honor and integrity and decency because we are, we are trying to please God. But look, we're not just moving against the stream of the world. They're clashing. Those two, those two streams are clashing. They are diametrically opposed to one another. And you can't be in this, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, in the business of proclaiming the truth of God's word and not understand that afflictions are coming because you've been appointed to that by being appointed to, to proclaim the truth of God's word in a world of lies. You've been appointed to afflictions because the world is certainly going to try to afflict you. Now, there's simply no doubt about that. It comes with the territory. And I think part of the problem is we, we've got so many Christians and particularly pastors who, who don't want that. They don't want to, to, to be in conflict with anybody. But if you're true to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are in conflict with the, with the direction of the world. Not a matter of not wanting or not wanting. You are. Just as Jesus was when he walked the earth. He still is, but he's in his glorified body now, sitting as God on the throne in heaven beside the Father. But when he was on this earth, he was in direct conflict to the way in which the world was moving. says, for in fact, we told you before, this is the fourth verse, when we were with you, that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened. And you know. So look, <clears throat> let me just tell you this. I know God has plans for me and plans for my ministry. And uh, for as long as I'm on this earth, I'm going to be pursuing those plans. We've got a, a book coming out um, here in a few months. I know that as we continue to do more and more, more and more people are going to hear my voice. More and more people are going to know what I'm standing for. So I'm telling you now, I am going to suffer tribulation. It's just, it's, it's axiomatic. It's unavoidable. That's why when I ask you all to pray for me, I am not just kind of, well, that's what Christians say. <laughs> Believe me, it's serious. It's serious because I really believe that the body of Christ is a bulwark 
around ministers of the gospel who are truly proclaiming the word of God because they know that Satan is coming against them in a major way. Now, don't get me wrong. Satan is a destroyer. He comes against anybody. He, he hates people. But he particularly targets those who are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ without compromise and without apology because they are a threat to him. If you're not doing that, you're no threat to him. If you're kind of loosey-goosey and kind of like a wet noodle and will flip-flop anywhere, you're no threat to Satan. I won't name names. I can think of a number of prominent ministers. I don't think they're no threat to the devil. The devil probably looks at them and laughs. Yeah, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. Thanks very much for the assistance. Really appreciate it. I mean, I've had a number of people um, talk to me about this, the Great Reset, you know, conspiracy theory surrounding that. And uh, this World Economic, I think it's the World Economic Forum, and this summit that they had not too long ago. Well, I just heard, verified there was some, some, some so-called ministers of the gospel in attendance at that thing. That thing is godless. That thing is an abomination. Because what they're really talking about are things like worldwide government and population control and, 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 and draconian measures to be taken to, present, to prevent the cataclysm of climate change. What, what, what is a a minister of the gospel doing, buying into that whole worldview and, and sort of putting his or her imprimatur on it. Like it's okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. I agree. No, we don't agree. We believe that God's plan for this earth is to clean it up. And at the appointed time, God himself will intervene through our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ, who will destroy his enemies by the sword of his mouth. I don't know climate change. I'm looking for Jesus to crack the sky and set this thing right. The world is not going to be destroyed by climate change. And we're not going back to prehistoric times as a result of mankind driving SUVs. And I mean, give me a break. You've got you to have sand in your brain to believe that. But we know that tribulation comes with this. Oh my goodness, I'm out of time. Wow. I'm not worried. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter attempted you and our labor might be in vain. So you know what Paul is saying? This is the Apostle Paul saying, but I am strengthened by you. I am strengthened by you. When I'm in tribulation, your faith helps sustain me. Don't forget that, folks. Don't forget that. Your faith helps sustain me. God bless each and every one of you. I love you. I'm praying for you. And remember, we cannot be defeated if we will not quit because we are on God's side.